Welcome to This Week in Craft Beer, the podcast, the weekly show where we interview the people making the magic happen in the UK craft beer scene. Sponsored by Them That Can, the premier mobile canning service in the UK. Commencing in July 2021, This Week in Craft Beer will be offering meticulously curated craft beer experiences to the world's most exciting craft beer destinations in partnership with some of the UK's leading craft breweries. Please visit our website for more details at thisweekincraft.beer. This Week in Craft Beer would like to thank our generous Patreon supporters John Stevens, Angela Peterson, Nick Flynn, Jamie Ramsey, Sue Johnson, Steve Hartley, Jazz Hundell, Phantom Brewing Company, Dolphin Brewery, Becky Bentley-White, Alex Possels, Berkshire Beer Box, Ryan Charlton and the Paper Mill Micropub. So I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast Chris from Two Tribes Brewery from King's Cross in North London. Two Tribes was launched in 2016 as an evolution of founder Justin Dayton's previous beer businesses and are based at the heart of many of the UK's recording studios in King's Cross. Two Tribes as a brand is built on collaboration, focused around their passion for beer, food, music and art. Chris, please introduce yourself. Tell me about your beer journey and how you came to be part of Two Tribes. Hi, I'm Chris, head brewer at Two Tribes, as Rob said, in King's Cross. My beer journey, gosh, um, I guess it all started like it does for a lot of people with underage drinking. I wasn't in my youth the biggest fan of beer until there was one big experience that kind of changed it all. One of my friends had a summer job at this building company and the guy who he worked with was a a builder from Slovakia who used to drive his van from Slovakia. And his brother worked for a beer distribution company in the Czech Republic and they got a lot of stock that got dented in transport had scratched up labels and stuff like this that the employees were allowed to buy on the cheap. Right. And if you know anything about alcohol in Finland, it's that it's very expensive. Very high duty levels. Yeah, yeah. So we had this guy basically selling tins out of his out of the back of his van of these all of these amazing Czech beers. Yep. And I mean, we were could we have been 16, 17. And this guy was it's a beautiful summer's day. And he was like, oh, you boys would like to buy some beer. I've got some good stuff. And we ended up buying a few cans of Czech beer, mainly the stuff that we'd seen in supermarkets in Finland, because it felt like a comfortable territory. Yeah, sort of safe, safer territory, yeah. <laughs> and I bought a can of the Kosal uh, Black Lager, mm. and that completely changed beer for me. Right. I still remembered the first sip of that can. I was like, <laughs> wow. Fantastic. It was sweet. Mm. bitter dry really reflect refreshing even though it was a quite a malty beer and just blew my mind and i guess i did it all in reverse so i got really into dark beer okay nice dark beer first and then i did a, an exchange from university or so a work experience thing i studied hospitality management right. and gastronomy so i worked at a country club in a small village in uh, in Wiltshire for eight months okay and the local pub was very well supplied with local cask beer nice which when you're on a student's budget you tend to drink what's the cheapest right so uh, it's always going to be cask yeah in england anyway (laughs) yeah and then i started getting into the the hoppier stuff and i remember the landlord at the pub was really proud because he'd managed to get a few casks of fuller's esb okay and that was the second big wow mm. moment. Yep. So I still remember having the first pint of VSB and going, holy hell, what mm. so much flavors from the hops. And obviously studying food and flavor science, I immediately asked, where can I get more stuff like this? Yep. And this was in 2010, 2011. Okay, and I was just going to ask you when it was. Yeah, yeah. And he actually, just funnily enough, and he said, oh, there's a big Sainsbury's just outside of Swindon. Right. And they stocked this Scottish brewery called Brewdog. And they got two beers in there. You should try them. I think you'd like them. Nice. So I went to Swindon, went to the Sainsbury's, bought a bottle of Punk IPA mm. uh, when it was still 5.7%, I think it used yep. to be. Mm-hmm. And a bottle of 5am Saint. Right. And since then, it's just been a fast track to where we are now. I even ended up uh, writing my, uh, my thesis at university about matching beer with desserts. Oh, okay. Nice. After university, I moved uh, moved back to my hometown and I worked in a in a fine dining restaurant as a as a beverage buyer and uh, I did all of their their beverage pairings and we right. worked with hyper local and uh, super seasonal ingredients. So nice. we changed the we changed the menu pretty much every week or every ten days. Very good. Uh, depending on what we could get from the farmers, what the what the chefs could find in the forest. Mm. So there was a lot of room to experiment and. Uh, 
and we started, my boss had a very strict rule about the wines. that They had to be either organically or biodynamically farmed or natural yeah. wine, all from Europe to fit in with what we were doing. Yeah, the ethos of the restaurant, yeah. But there was a lot of room to play around with the drinks pairings. Okay. And many a times there were things that the chefs would turn out of from the kitchen with edible flowers and wild herbs. We were like, there's no way I can pair any wine with this, even no. though we had a vast wine cellar. So I started introducing beers to the menu, mm -hmm. which became quite popular with our customers, especially a guy who lived next door. And he was a sort of refrigeration engineer. And um, and he was like, oh, have you, have you ever thought about home brewing? And I was like, finally, you say, I've, I've actually thought about it. And he was like, oh, I found this little stovetop kit thing that you can buy from America. And I was thinking about ordering myself one, right. but we could shave on, save on shipping costs if you want to get in on it. So we ordered these two brew kits, which <laughs> essentially were um, a demijohn and some large pans and a funnel and a few right. sieves. So it wasn't, which, it wasn't anything terribly technical. No, and they came with some small like introductory uh, recipe packs, mm -hmm. which was a great way to get some American hops in an accessible way. Sure, I guess. Yeah. Um, to Finland, so that's what the main reason why we did. And we, I started brewing some beer at home and taking them to parties. And at one point, one of my friends was like, "This is actually, did you make this? This is actually pretty good." <laughs> and I was like, oh, "Okay, maybe there's something in it." And um, at the same time, I had that a bit of regret. No, I enjoyed my job, but it was very stressful. And then it was also sort of the, the regret of moving back to a small hometown when you're in your early 20s and you want to go see the world. And I already had a taste of what London was like and, uh, and the UK. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that was the, I think that was the first or the second year that uh, Brewdog ran their uh, apprenticeship team. Right. And I was like, well, I fit all the criteria. I work in hospitality. I've yeah. got a degree. I can kind of make up a beer recipe on my own. So I was like, <laughs> oh, I'll, um, I'll apply. Um, made it to the final four. Didn't get picked. Oh, no. What a shame. And then the, the very nice lady from the Brewdog's recruitment department at the time said, just apply next year. Okay. Like, you, you still fit the criteria. Yeah. It'll be a whole new set. Did the same thing again next year with the exact same result. Made the final four, had oh. the, like the actual job interview and, and things like that. And then uh, when they said, it's like, oh, sorry, we've chosen someone else. And I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. But then I was already at the point where it's like, I, I kind of really want to do this. And mm. then I just frantically just, I think I, I just emailed any single brewery that I could find in the UK with, <laughs> I must have sent three or 400 emails and wow. probably got about 12 responses. And then finally managed to, to get it on the line, came to London for, for a job interview with a brewery called, um, well, it's still called London Fields, but it's not the same. Yeah. But yeah, I'm aware of them. Yeah, yeah. Not the same sort of dodgy, <laughs> dodgy company behind it anymore. Um, <laughs> got a job as a brewery assistant, quit my job, handed in my notice on my flat, bought a one-way ticket from Helsinki to London. And, <laughs> and two weeks before I was uh, meant to go, I got an email from London Fields bluntly saying, sorry, we can't hire you anymore. Oh, God. I was like, oh, fuck. At the time, obviously, uh, very confused, angry. Yeah. Uh, and then now, in hindsight, super happy that that, that never actually happened. worked out really well for you. Yeah, I think so. Happened. So it was back to the drawing board. Said mm. I was still working at the restaurant, and this was peak summer season at the end of July, coming into August in Finland. It's, it was our busiest time. So, like, I'd go and pull a dinner shift, come home at two in the morning, sit down, and start emailing again. And then by chance, I was looking on the SIBA website and happened to update it as, as I was as I was logging in. And I saw a little notice from Beavertown basically saying, hey, we've moved to new, bigger facilities. Yep. Uh, we need someone who can pretty much start straight away, has a passion for beer, mm -hmm. and kind of just wants to get involved. Mm. Uh, it's a full-time job. Please send an email to Jen Merrick. Mm. And I was like, cool. I'm going to do exactly that. So I emailed Jen explaining what, a, what had happened and yeah. um, I went to bed. And then I woke up fairly late because I was working the dinner shift. Yeah, yeah. I thought that I got an email from Jen and said, hey, do you have time for, for a quick Skype chat mm -hmm. today? And I was like, shit, I need to be at the restaurant in two hours. I had the interview with Jen, thought it was quite nice, but 
I don't know. I wasn't 100% convinced that they were 100% convinced yep. that I was yeah, the person who they wanted to come <clears> and help <throat> out. Got on with dinner service and uh, in the middle of uh, the biggest dinner rush, I got another email from Jen saying, um, when does your plane land and when can you start? Nice. <laughs> and then my boss came back from his meeting and walked into the kitchen. And he was like, I had a phone call mm. and they sounded very pleased with you. And I was like, oh, so it's your doing. And he was like, you know, got to help nice. each other out. Well, okay, that's really great. nice. Yeah. Came over, had a, a week to settle and find like a long term Airbnb. So found one in Tottenham, stayed yeah. there for a couple of months and uh, got into it. I mean, there was that was uh, when the move had, uh, had just happened. They'd moved from, from Hackney Week to Tottenham Hale. Right. And the first, I don't think I'll ever forget my first day working in a in a real brewery. So I, I walked in, was ready to get going, opened the door, and Mikkel from Mikkeler was walking around in nice. his uh, <laughs> in his underwear drinking a Negroni, and I was like, <laughs> "What's going on?" And then I saw Jen w- uh, waving at me from the brew deck, and it turns out they were uh, they were doing a, a collaboration brew mm-hmm. with Arizona Wilderness and and Mikkeler. and that was just the time when you remember the ice bucket challenge. Oh, yeah. yeah. And there was loads of American brewers that were trying to make the hop bucket challenge. So when you <laughs> pull off the ice cold hop and yeast flurry from the, the bottom of the tank to sort of and pour that over <laughs> over yourself instead of ice. So that's the reason why Mikkel was walking around in his underwear, because the Arizona Wilderness Boys and the, the guys from Tuol had, uh, had talked him into is that you should do it. It's going to be really cold, but you should. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's for charity. You go for so you've got to charity. Do it. And he was yeah. like, "Oh yeah, I'll do it." Um, so that was that was my first taste of craft beer, uh, beer life in the in the UK. Nice. After that, the whole almost three full years at Beaver Town was a pretty wild ride. I mean, when I started, we were twelve people, I think, working mm-hmm. in the whole company. And by the time I left, it must have been 70, 80. Wow. Yeah. people in the building it was crazy I mean, the, the brewery was pretty much a, a constant building site we put in an improvement or more tanks to make us more efficient and to get more beer out to people but people just wanted more 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 and more all the time and it's, the, the train never stopped i mean a lot of us that were there at the time aren't well i don't think anyone's there anymore but uh but we all have a weird bond because I think we, looking back at it, it's like, how the hell did, did we manage to do that, make the, the beers that we did and like still keep growing the brewery, keep adding improvements, yeah. sort of constantly working on top of each other, pulling long shifts, making the impossible impossible happen. So it, that was good fun. And we all still keep in touch and we're spread all over. Absolutely. Over There's the a lot world. of people in the UK industry that have come through beaver town absolutely i mean i mentioned to you chris just before we started that people that have listened to this podcast before will be expecting me to give you a hard time about beaver town because i'm not a massive fan of of luckily not many but the few breweries that have sold out in the uk over the past few years and, and obviously they're the i guess the biggest bad guys from my personal perspective because i think i'm not sure that they actually needed to sell and i don't really want to get into a massive negative whine about yeah but i do think that logan's dad could have probably tossed him a few quid if he needed to buy some more tanks or even build a new brewery you know i don't think he needed to sell to heineken but i can't fault your story i think it worked out fantastically for you i'm sure you had an incredible time there and you moved on what six months before they sold anyway i think didn't you to, to camden yeah, there was a there was a few of us that moved on at the same point. There was there was more structure anyway being mm-hmm. brought into the company, and there was some new hires higher up. And uh, Janet moved on, which meant that we the old crew had kind of lost their ally in the heights of the management structure there. And I've I don't know it's a theory, but a, a few of us think that it might have been uh, some people probably didn't like that uh, we had very loose job descriptions and were pretty free to do. Because that's what was needed when we built the place up was that everyone has the freedom to do what needs to be doing. And there's no point in anyone being anyone's boss in the traditional hierarchy sense. No. So we were all jacks of all trades. And then there was new management trying to put us into the lockers. I think a lot of us felt like a little bit harshly done by that we've lost some of our freedoms and that we weren't right. considered for um, for some higher positions. Yes. Obviously, these people had come from other breweries and they already had other people in mind to, to fill. Um, it always happens, isn't it? Yeah. To fill certain needs, which it, it, it's natural with any growing company when you have start sourcing big talent from from outside. And a few of us moved on and then we felt, and then the guys that 
that were left, myself included, felt that we lost a little bit of the old spirit and, and started looking around. And I mentioned to my friend Paul, who at the time was lead brewer down at, at Camden in Kentish Town, that I am um, in the pub that I've been thinking about. Maybe it's time to like try something else out for a yeah. bit and, and figure out what to do and where to go. And he, and then he's mentioned that that's when they were building the big plant in Enfield and they'd already committed some of the, the brewing teams to, to work on that fully. And then I think they had some visa troubles with one of their brewers where his visa essentially didn't get renewed and he had to right. he had to leave. And I got asked to apply for the job and went down. And I'd obviously been to Camden many times before, already knew the guys from just being in, in the scene, like the brewing scene, especially in North London, everyone is quite tightly connected. Oh, sure. Yeah, But back in 2015, there wasn't that many pubs around in North London where you could drink good beer. So we all no. always end up in the same place and everyone knew sure. each other anyway. So, yep. I mean, it was kind of a job interview in the sense that they had to ask me some questions. But I, <laughs> I, I'm pretty convinced that they'd already made their mind up. And I yep. was a bit on the fence going to work for ABI and yep. stuff like this. But the guys were uh, super convincing. They were like, we've got a new head brewer who's joining from the guy's going to be running the Enfield plant, gone to German brewing school. Like there's so much that everyone can learn just by having these two guys right. in the building mm-hmm. just to ask questions. And I'd already been starting to get really intrigued about lagers at that point. And I had a chat with uh, with a few friends and one of my friends said, it's like, why don't you go? Right. Like you're already intrigued about the sort of stuff that they're doing. It's a good learning opportunity. It's like you don't have to stick around if it feels wrong, but like yep. there's nothing wrong in, in trying. And I was like, you know what? Why the hell not? Yep. It was a cushy commute from I still live in on the same street that I did back then. Just a five minute cycle down the road to Kentish Town. And I was like, oh, you know what? I, I don't mind not having to sit on the train for 40 minutes every no, every morning. Not to gonna get miss to work. That, like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's quite nice. And like, oh, the, the guys are really nice. That was a good time to get into Canada. And I was thrown into the deep end because of the, the stick that they were in. It was basically, I think I had two days of training. And then they were like, oh, you're in charge of this batch of hells on your own. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and Paul basically said, oh, you just ring me if anything goes wrong. I was like, okay, cool. Managed to do all right. Didn't have to call anyone, which is nice. good. Didn't want to yeah. wake a man up after his uh, after his <laughs> night shift. Uh, so that went that went all right. And um, I had I actually I didn't have any intentions of of leaving Camden. I was actually quite in, enjoying it. There's something that has to be said about a brewery that's quality wise incredibly consistent, mm-hmm. and the amount of people that they have that they've employed on the quality side to ensure that they're incredibly consistent. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. Right. And then I got a phone call from, from Justin, mm-hmm. um, the founder and, and owner of, of Two Tribes, saying, it's like, hey, I think you've, you've met our operations director, who's also called Justin uh, okay. before. And uh, we know that you live in the area and we're, we're trying to plan this brewery. And it's kind of the, the same sort of idea as Camden had originally. And like, you know, the brew kit and the layout, would you mind come by and, and see our side and just talk us through and see if there's anything that we might have missed because we're not brewers. And I was like, yeah, cool. Of course, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll come by and have a look. And um, went and had a look and uh, they showed me the, the brew kit that they planned on buying and roughly where they thought about how they thought about laying out the, the brew pub. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this all kind of makes sense. It, it looks really good, but I maybe moved this over and swapped some placement just to make it flow better yeah. and, and that was it and then um then justin called me again two days later and he was like oh would you um would you be interested in in taking it on and then i was like what do you mean mm-hmm. taking it on and they were like oh would you like to come and brew the beer at the brew pub mm-hmm. i mean i was flabbergasted i didn't think i had the, the experience or the know-how to come in and take a project like that mm-hmm. on my own but uh justin he can be very convincing Okay. <laughs> um, and I think he talked me out of my own insecurity, jump in the deep end of the pool again. So we ended up ended up there. I, I think I my first day there was the, the day the, the brew kit arrived from Hungary, okay. which is quite quite fun. Um, yep. Just had to had to manage a little bit of a supervise the uh, commissioning and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and manage uh, to build of a of a brew pub that. And at that time, we still had um, the original brewery down in in Horsham. Right in Sussex. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, which the plan was to use the brew pub in King's Cross as kind of like an experimental uh, kitchen. Right. We do like uh, single batch beers there, sell them at the bar and uh, and to a few different bars in, in London and Brighton to test it out on people. And then if anything 
was a hit, we could always take the recipe down to Sussex. Move it to the big kit. Yeah. Move it, and, the, and the guys down there could, could brew it on the, on the big kit, which is what we actually did for the first little bit. So you significantly increased your own capacity in King's Cross as well, um, yep. I read last year, Chris. So are you still contracting some of the core range production or have you brought that back in-house now? We contract some of it, but we still brew batches of all of the core range beers ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. More of us like controlling the process. So if we feel that there's any tweaking that needs doing on the contracting recipes, we'll usually brew a full batch in King's Cross of it with the tweak added to see if it, see how we feel with the outcome. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. But then rather than have taken the risk of being stuck with, with a very, very large batch of, of beer that we're not 100% sure about, sure. we can rather take the hit and brew a smaller batch, see if it works. And then if it works, we can scale those changes into the, the contract brew. So it's a constant work in motion kind of thing. Uh, which I mean, it's an agricultural product anyway. So the flavor of the, the grains change every year, Absolutely. the, the hops yeah. change every year. So you're kind of doing it anyway. And to us, it just seems natural that we do not lose touch with those core brands that we, we also make them ourselves. Yeah, no, I understand that. Let's talk about power plant before mm. we've finished it, because it's hard to talk about a beer when you haven't got, <laughs> when you haven't got it in front of you. So this is power plant, your 4.5% I guess you'd call it a pilsner. On the can, it says natural lager or? Yes, there's a bit of a story behind that. I think the name came before the beer. We'd been brewing a, a different, like as a more of a modern pilsner before mm-hmm. that, which was hopped with a, with American hops right? and a little bit stronger. And then I was tasked with spinning that idea forward. And I started thinking about what kind of interpretations of pilsner I like. And I just couldn't let go of the idea of tipo pills from... Right. Spirificio Italiano, uh, which I still hold as like Jesus here for me. <laughs> right. It's everything you want in a modern Pilsner. <clears throat> and they combine a lot of very traditional thinking and very modern techniques into making that beer. And it's an incredible pint that's always good. So that was the basis for it. And um, so it is dry hop with some Mittelfroy, mm-hmm. which is a complete ripoff of Hippo Pils, which... Um, I've heard two stories that they've actually ripped off uh, some traditional Czech breweries that have been doing it for, for hundreds of years just to brighten the hop characteristics right. in their pilsners. And I was like, rather than you, we used the, on the hot side, it's all single hop, hop sauce. Mm-hmm. I was like, maybe not to just drive one type of noble hop character. Pilsner is so much more than, than Czech. It's also German. Right. And I was like, oh, it would be really cool. Like we're making a Pilsner, so let's get a German element in. Right. Um, it's step mash, like they do in Munich, with all the Pilsner malt is German. Um, right. It was Bamberger for a long while, and we've swapped it this year to a malt from Heidelberg in okay. Germany. Mm-hmm. Just to tweak the color a little bit, and we really like the flavor of the malt. And then it's us yep. to sort of represent the Czech Republic. On the hot side, the lager yeast itself is, is Austrian. Mm-hmm. The beer is unitanked right. and stop pressure carbonated responding. So in a weird way, it's a homage to Central European. Yeah, it really is. There's elements from from all of the big lager-making countries. And then with that little Italian twist with the quite, well, not heavy-handed, but like large dry hopping for what you would use with a noble hop like Mittelfro, which just brings that fresh, herbaceous Mm. flavor. And it's unfiltered and unitanks in in a way, I guess you could also say it's a Keller beer. Right. It's, I mean, it's hazy. It's, it's, I'd say it's, it's like a lager mashup. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. bring our music terms into it. a bit of a remix of a <laughs> nice, yeah, <laughs> of a pilsner. And it was one of those. It's like we we're going to do it like once or maybe twice, just right for fun. And then it it kind of stuck. People stuck really around. Yeah. <laughs> people really liked it, and we just decided that we're gonna because it's called Power Plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just decided, oh, we're gonna just gonna make it gluten free with with Clarix. Most loggers are low in gluten anyway. Right. Lagering time, especially if they're unitanks. So the legal limit in, in the UK is 20 parts per million. Right. It's the upper limit of what you can call gluten free. So anything gluten-free. below is yeah. uh, below is fine. So we, we did the first batch with which we'd done without the Clarex and we had we actually had it analyzed and it came back as twenty-six okay. PPM. And we're like, oh, technically already, mm. like we could already brand it as a low gluten mm-hmm. product and we'd already talked about the Clarex, so we decided to go for it. Like, mm. why not? It's not going to take anything away from the beer no and if anything it's just going to help with clarity and, and head retention so uh 
so yeah we decided to make it our first gluten-free offering nice yeah it's an easy drinking session lager isn't it it's yeah. perfect summer beer sunny evening two or three of these out while you're attending to the barbecue perfect yeah yeah. Um, did you say nice and crisp and dry it's hard to find more words to describe it than that because just haven't really got the vocabulary to to give great tasting notes on the lager but i'm enjoying it and it's a perfect accompaniment to a conversation like this i think yeah that's what we try to do with most of our beers is is to have sort of easy drinking beers where there's something of interest for sort of the hardened beer nerd to right. sink their, their teeth into but but ultimately where beer is enjoyed is, is usually in the pub and and with company and so we don't want to make anything that basically we just want highly drinkable beer that's well balanced and that can sort of appeal to both the beer nerd and their mates who might not necessarily into that sort of thing but right. i think as the aspiration of, of all craft brewers is that like we'd rather make the lager that they drink than have them drink stella oh definitely absolutely yeah that's one of the biggest challenges i think for craft brewers isn't it is finding that recipe and, uh, that you can sell at a price point that will bring the lager drinkers in and, and hopefully keep them around and you know yeah. with a bit of luck then broaden their outlook to start tasting some of your other beers oh absolutely and i think like if you just look back over like the last two years and especially during lockdown there's been quite an array of craft lagers that have launched and, and come mm-hmm. out and i'm so happy that we have fully dedicated uh, craft lager breweries oh there's some really good ones down in the uh, UK, these yeah. days, like utopian mm-hmm. don soko um yeah. braybrook braybrook definitely mm-hmm. yeah i think it's fantastic because there is a demand for good lager and i think i think finally the uk craft beer community has gotten over the sense that i remember that in 2015 there was a lot of like all lagers trash kind of mentality mm-hmm. going around not necessarily in the breweries but with the consumers that were paying our bills Right. There was a lot of anti-lager sentiment, which I don't know, you'd probably know know more about it, it which I would guess as an outsider that it's it's probably something that's come from the whole camera thing. Yeah, that partly. And as well, there was a, an anti-lager drinking sentiment going back a bit further, 20, 25 years ago. It was fashionable to refer to young people as lager lout, young people drinking too much, causing yeah. trouble in the town centres. They were lager louts. And so by association, lager developed a negative impression or you know at least you know the reporting on it was negative in the press and that that i think that still probably maybe still hangs around a little bit today not so much but that was definitely the the viewpoint from 10 15 years ago anyway chris let's take a short break this week in craft beer is sponsored by them that can the premier mobile canning service in the uk Them That Can deliver the machinery, labour, materials and most importantly the expertise to achieve a professionally canned product that keeps their clients happy. For more information about how you can get started with their amazing services, please visit www.themthatcan.com So I'm back with Chris from Two Tribes for the second half of the show. Chris, let's start by having you answer what is often quite a tricky question for guests on this podcast, which is what makes you different? What is it that two tribes are doing that will help you to stand out in the crowded London craft beer scene? I think it's going to sound a bit cheesy, but I think we live by our our motto. So Mm -hmm. uh, we've got beer music art printed on pretty much everything that we do. And I think that what sets us apart is that we all very much live that motto that's our lifestyle i mean the the brewery in a, in a weird way is run like an underground record label uh, <laughs> we collaborate with loads of people across the board we've hosted countless album launches and... i mean you're literally surrounded by recording studios there yeah. in Kings Cross, aren't you yeah and that's that's where our founders background is as well mm-hmm. it's, it's music and we all like music we all like very different music which is a great richness in the brewery i mm-hmm. think uh Justin, our founder, had an in- interesting interview with a with Japanese music publication uh, actually a couple of weeks ago. And one of the questions he got asked was the very tricky one of what's a brewery top 10 music oh, list. Okay. Yeah. And when he put the list together and there's everything from 60s, 60s mm-hmm. prog rock, uh, classic rock, uh, acid house, 90s mm-hmm. hip hop, jazz, blues. So we all live that that music part of, of the brewery in, in our own way. And uh and being surrounded by so many people that work with music, it's hard not to pull influence and, and work with the people that surround us. 
yeah um which is quite fun and it, it's something that's i i think we do is, is quite unique we do a lot of collaborations with people who have nothing to do with beer whatsoever right. when we started one of the first collaborations we did was with copa 90 the online football media yeah. platform we made a beer beer with them for the world cup that then <laughs> they ended up taking i think almost a pallet of the cans with them to russia where they hosted their own fan zone nice that was quite fun we, we work with food people as well that's my background in in dining course, and, yeah, yeah. and um i think every, everyone at the brewery is, is into good food which i think mm. you can see with what we're trying to do with with campfire well so look let's talk about campfire because that's an incredibly exciting innovation it opened in april is that right chris i think um yeah well we opened uh when outside drinking was allowed again it started out as we were involved with a food festival out in uh, in essex that was called px plus right as one of the drink suppliers mm-hmm. um and we had a really good uh, we had a really good time there the first year and then the second year they asked us if we want to do a dinner mm-hmm. at the host a dinner at the at the festival right and we'd met some people there and through all of these connections we managed to assemble a, a pretty cool team of, of chefs and they each made a made a dish and we paired one of our beers nice. we did and we had this uh this dinner in, in a tent in, in the middle of a field in essex hmm. and a lot of it was uh, it was all live fire cooking and then it was called a campfire dinner and that talk and we did a few repeats of similar events and the and the idea just grew and right. grew <laughs> and we knew that the we'd have to do something with the tap room because uh, we needed the space we needed to turn the brewery from a brew pub into a production facility. Right. We needed yep. beer. Yep. And then we were presented with this wonderful opportunity of uh, they were remodeling the wrong calling it an industrialist, former industrial estate yeah. uh, that, that we're in. They wanted to remodel how the how the space was used, sure. uh, a lot of the public areas and our tap room fit into it. And then that grew into that. Maybe we can use this, this campfire concept and make it into something permanent. Yeah. So it's all outdoors. There is zero indoor seating. It's all covered. Uh, right. Got heaters and it's all centered around a fire pit. Perfect. With an open fire kitchen. It's based on the on the age old fantastic combination of barbecue and beer. Yep. But it's again, it's like the whole thing that like a barbecue and beer can be so much more than um, sausages and cellar. And that's Absolutely. Sort of what, we're, what we're trying to Yeah. To show in a way that's accessible and interesting mm-hmm. to people. The music element comes in there. We've got... Um, we got DJs playing set uh, almost every night. One of Justin's old friends, uh, Pete Herbert, who used to have a residency at uh, Cafe Del Mar in Ibiza, um, has programmed all of the daytime music, and he he plays nice. he DJs he DJs there as well. So it's it's a fusion of everything that we like and how we live our own lives is coming alive in in this one space, which used to be the car park. Fantastic! I I have been to the to I guess what you would have called it as a brew pub so this was pre-covid it would have been sometime in 2019 i, I came down at lunchtime and had a few beers and really enjoyed my visit actually yeah um so that what was the tap room inside the brewery is now no more it's just yeah. the, the brewery the... right and so where if you were standing facing the street with your back to the front of that building where is the campfire area it's literally just over to the right where the car park okay. used to be. Right. So it, it's surrounded by all of the, the offices and recording studios. Yep. Mm-hmm. And obviously, and then we, the brewery, are stuck away in, in the corner. But it's right. right there. I think it's about 10 steps from the... Oh, wow. Okay. And it's kind of an enclo- it's enclosed with containers around the edges, isn't it? But the fire's in the middle. Yeah. And obviously, you've got tables in the middle as well. Um, yes, yeah, so the bar and the and the kitchen are all housed in a container, and there's one container that has um, some seating. Um, so you could call inside seating if you. Yeah, but with an open to. side, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with an open side, and then we've sort of created a courtyard with the with the containers. There's a there's a roof terrace on on one of the containers, oh, which nice. is which is covered and heated. Cool. And then the courtyard is is covered and heated as well, and the fire pit is sort of in in the middle of the right, in the middle of the courtyard. And do people order from a menu, or is it mainly the event kind of set meal service? How does that? No, work? Uh, there's a there's a menu. The yeah. the guys at the moment, the, the residency is from the ashes. They came they came out of lockdown necessity. There were uh, a few chefs who um, didn't have anything to do because right. they couldn't go to they couldn't go to work. So no. they um, they managed to get a small space in Hackneybury, and they started barbecuing and selling meat from the hatch. Nice it turned into quite a phenomenon. So they're mm. now cooking with us, kind of doing exactly the same thing. They're serving. On a bigger scale. Yeah, yeah. 
meats, meats and sides, um, mm-hmm. changing to the cuts that they get from from their butchers. Yeah. As with everything these days, you get a snappy little QR code and you order straight to your table and food and beer appears. And then um, we got a guest chef during the week. Mm-hmm. So we had this week and last week, we've had Adam Handlin in from The Frog. They've been right. doing their take on the campfire thing. <laughs> So last Wednesday and Thursday, and uh, then they're also there this week, Wednesday and Thursday. So that's going to be the rotating team is that we're going to get our chef friends in that might usually be confined to a, to a restaurant. Yeah. More of a traditional restaurant right. kitchen to sort of play around with working in the elements and working with fire and see what they can come up with when they're giving this opportunity to do Fantastic. something that might be a little bit more different to what they do on an everyday everyday basis. Brilliant. I mean, this would have been an incredible addition to the London hospitality scene in any year. But I think in the year of COVID, it's an absolute act of genius, isn't it? To put that on this summer when everybody's looking for an opportunity to go and do something outside oh, and, yeah. but still have a great experience. This is this is fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the reception has been, I, I mean, it's been overwhelmingly positive. I bet it has, and, yeah. And uh, I think more than we could have ever imagined mm-hmm. that was going to be because of all of the lockdowns. It, the project got delayed so many times that we, we sort of started saying that, uh, oh, you know, it, it isn't real until we have we have people actually no. sitting here, sitting no. here enjoying it. And now it is real and it's it's incredible. And I, I do wholeheartedly believe in that we've uh, created something very, very unique in the sense where we can portray what we're about, yep. uh, not just through words and, and imagery, but through actions and, and, yeah. and, and experiences. We're all about delivering experiences we want people to have a good time with yes two tribes obviously it helps if they think that the beer is good mm-hmm. but it's never been about i mean in one way it's always been about the beer but it's also never been about the beer okay. you know it's it's about the lifestyle and mentality of, of of collaborating with people who have different creative outputs and a different way of of looking at things and i think we can all learn from from working with people who work in in different environments and different industries like we've Definitely. done everything from concerts to art shows to to this whole cooking thing now and but we're still active in the beer community we can't wait to get back and do beer festivals so we're no. actually bringing campfire to bigfoot uh, oh okay brilliant in, in warwickshire this, this year as well and bringing nice. some, uh, some of the chefs along we're bringing beer and food and uh what what better place for us to be at than uh the uk's first beer and music festival yes combo so we're super excited I bet you are. Yeah, that's super great. excited about that's going to be real good fun. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, can't wait to get out to, to events like that. What other festivals are you guys signed up for? I actually don't know a hundred percent yet because I don't think I don't. I think a lot of it is still up in the air. But I, it is unfortunately, yeah. But things that we said that we'd like to do that we always always like to do. It's obviously London craft beer. Yep, that's it's such a seismic event. And oh, you it's get a wonderful people. location as well, isn't it? The tobacco dock down there is just brilliant. And you get people from all over the world mm. coming to experience what we do in London, which I think is absolutely fantastic. And then I think we'll be doing Leeds International as well, nice. which is personally one of my favorite beer festivals in the world, mm-hmm. purely because of the reason that it's so accessible that I feel it's one of the only craft beer festivals where you still get to surprise people uh, right. with what, what beer can be. Because it's the ticket price is so accessible. You get a lot of beer people bring their friends who aren't into beer at all. That's a good point, actually, yeah. So you get someone someone coming on a... And the fact that you can buy tickets at the door. You get someone coming in on a Thursday after work with their mates. Might have never had craft beer before. And they come up and be like, oh, do I normally drink Stella and Heineken in the pub? Do you have anything for me? And if if you're not pouring lager, we usually go with, oh, have you ever tried a session IPA? Yeah. And they're like, oh, oh, no. And then they'll have a sip. And then suddenly it's Saturday night and they're back there again and they're like oh my god like it's that session i changed my entire a great point on, actually yeah on what beer can be and i don't know i i haven't missed a single year of leeds international ever since i moved to the uk i think it's a fantastic yeah. event and hats off to the guys that do it and, and all yeah. the support that they get from the leeds community and how everyone right. pulls together and uh, the other thing that i really enjoy with leeds international is the, the array of breweries that they get mm-hmm. And that it is mainly UK-based breweries, but from all corners of the UK. It's such a friendly and vibrant beer festival. And I think Leeds is the perfect host city 
for it as well. Yeah, I think you made a great case for it, Chris, really. As much as I love London Craft Beer Festival and Hop City and Cloudwater Friends and Family, you know, these are not, Yeah, <laughs> these are all exclusive events, aren't they? People, if you're going to pay 50, 60 pounds for your ticket, then you're not going to get those accidental people walking in off the street, are you? You're never going to, you're not going to convert anybody at those events because it's only the hardcore that are actually there in the first place. So. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't on my calendar, but I might have to think about adding it after all now. You've, you've convinced me. Let's talk about Metroland Tokyo. Yes. 4% um, India Session Ale. Um, yeah. So tasting notes I've got. So brewed with rice for a dry finish, hopped with yep. a Zaka and Summit, producing flavours of intense but refreshing citrus with floral side notes of pineapple. Tell me about this one. So Metroland is our, the original Metroland is our, is our core end session IPA and the names lent itself perfectly to a series. The original Metroland, the term Metroland, comes to me in London and the surrounding suburbs, right? Right. But we thought that, well, Metroland could be any big city in the Any large city, yeah. yeah. And we have so many large cities that have contributed so many unique factors to our global culture mm-hmm. that we wanted to explore that a bit more. So we've started this whole uh, Metroland World Tour okay. series. Nice. Uh, so we started off with New York was the first mm-hmm. one we made. So we sat down and thought about what, like, quintessential American New York characteristics and flavors that we want to try and convey through, through that beer. And then we did the same thing with Rio. And then it was time for Tokyo, right? which was a bit of a challenge because obviously in, in Japanese cuisine, rice is king and they sure. take rice making really seriously. Yep. I mean, most sushi masters spend 10 years just cooking rice before they're even allowed to <laughs> cut the fish. Like that's the, that's the important that yeah. that single grain holds in the entirety of Japanese society. So it would have been wrong to not use rice Makes sense. in the yeah. beer. And then we had to fight with the with the challenge of, of brewing with rice. It's a very simple sugar, so it ferments quite far. So it, the, right. the beer needs to be dry. Yeah. Um, and it also doesn't have any color. Hmm. It is completely pale. Yeah. And it's build a, a malt base around that where you don't end up with something that's watery and it has some color and resembles beer. So we worked on that quite a lot. And um, then we had to start thinking about flavors that not only are, are complementary to Japanese cuisine, but can also convey some Japanese flavors of their own. Yep. And we thought about it a lot and we came to the conclusion that you, you what you get in, in a lot of Japanese food, there, there, there tends to be a, a, a citrus element. A lot of the acidity tends to tends to be citrus-led if it's if it's right. not from different rice ferments. There's always a, a floral element. Right. But then the tricky part comes in that Japanese cuisine is very umami heavy. Mm. Makes it very... It's really hard to make a, a drink that's not going to overpower the delicacy of it. Yes. But it's Makes also going to com- complement it. So it seemed... Rice seemed to be the right choice to get a really dry, drinkable, refreshing beer. And then we just had to pick the hops that would sit next to those flavors. So we decided on Summit and uh, Lasaka. Mm-hmm. Summit, that was my choice. I feel it's a bit of a forgotten hop. That I'm not very familiar with Summit, to be honest with you. Now, Zaka, I, I, you know, I am familiar with and, and, and really like, actually. I, I, I can't think of the last time I had Summit in a beer, to be honest with you. But, uh, yeah, I felt it, it was one of those where it was forgotten in modern British brewing. A lot of the, like, the big boys of American craft that have been around since the 80s used to use it a lot and still do. Okay. Uh, the Summit goes all in the whirlpool, so it gets okay. a little bit of hot time. Mm-hmm. to pull out a little bit more of those floral herby notes and then because that already then lays the flavor foundation of, of that uh, floral citrus underneath the saka in the dry hop is then there to just pick out those floral citrus notes and kind of amplify it right we were actually talking about this about tokyo today and the uh, consensus seems to be that it's it's a it's a very uh the word smashable was used mm, uh, was used a, good, a lot. Good descriptor, yeah. Because it has to be delicate to fit with the cuisine that it's representing as well. Right. You get the refreshing element of that citrus to cut through the, the umami and and, the, and some of those notes that, that are present in Japanese cuisine, but it can't be that strong that's going to overpower the very delicate cooking that you're you're dealing with at the same time. Yes. Um if you want to, you can sit on it all night. I, I feel like it's approachable enough to. Uh, oh, definitely, yeah. To drink by the pint. Yeah, absolutely. I could probably do with four forty mil can of it actually instead of three thirty. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a minor complaint. No, that's and nice I think, 
All right, Chris. So be interested to hear from you what beers you've got in tank or about to go into tank that we can expect to see from two tribes in the next couple of months. So we are involved in a, I'm going to call it a mega collaboration. All right. It's, it's, <laughs> Sounds uh, exciting. It's, it's big. We are doing a temporary collaboration Ten. in honor of Diego Maradona for, oh, uh, wow. nice. for Art Beer Fest in Portugal. Nice. Um, I am just going to quickly look at my phone just to get the brewery list uh, so I don't leave anyone out. Okay. yeah. Together, we've designed a recipe uh, mm-hmm. with the simple idea is that everything revolves around the iconic number 10. Right. So 10 breweries, 10 malts, 10 hops, 10% alcohol. <laughs> it's a triple New England IPA. Yeah. And it's a collaboration between, well, it's the wonderful Juetes Perdidos from uh, Buenos Aires that have set up the, the okay. collab. And they're doing it with, with us. Yeah. And um, mom brewers from Portugal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mikeller from Denmark. Yep. We've got uh, Jinge from China, mm. San Frutos and La Pirata from uh, Spain, mm. Tumosto from Poland, right. Gruber from Germany, and, uh, yeah. and Vetra Milano. And Fantastic. Getting launched in Spain and Portugal in a couple of weeks. And they're going to try to get us uh, some can, cans over to the UK as well. So hopefully there'll be some cans available at Campfire, but I can't promise. Cause no. Fantastic! All, what a great it's project. All sort of the uh, yeah. the the Brexit and the customs. I know. Uh, oh, I caused a bit of issue with that. It's a complete nightmare. I know. But well, great project. Nice to be involved. That you know, that's a really exciting yeah. thing to be to be invited to participate in. So very cool. We've had a lot of fun with that. Mm. By the time this airs, there'll be some uh, some social media material already. Okay, out there. brilliant. You can kind of see what mm-hmm. where we're going with that project. We've got a few things that are actually coming back. Mm-hmm. As, as new iterations of what they used to be. I'm very excited. We've got a, a Baltic Porter coming okay, back, great. which is a rework of our Go Big or Go Home collaboration that we did with Big Alice Brewing right. from Queens in mm-hmm. New York. Uh, yeah. Shout out to those guys. They're uh, opening their second location in uh, in fin- the Finger Lakes in upstate New York. Nice. Okay. As, uh, Lovely. As a far- farmhouse and, uh, and barrel brewery. So if Ooh, anyone is nice. out there, yeah. uh, we're seeking those guys out and even if you're if you're in new york go to queens and visit the tap room absolutely lovely people making great great beer fantastic um so we got a, a re-tweaked baltic porter uh, based on on that recipe that's coming out in a couple of weeks okay. uh, we got a, a mango pale ale called park life nice. coming out as this easy summer summer session beer and then everyone's yearly springtime favorite release from ours is our um, new romantic raspberry and lime berliner vices nice making a comeback in i think we're about two and a half weeks away from packaging that sounds good from packaging that so the the pink drink gonna <laughs> gonna be back we've got a corn kolsch that's uh, dry hop with no single hop with with Belmont. there's no dry hop in this one uh that's just been launched there was a okay. collaboration with love corn Oh yeah, which is quite interesting, and I'd I'd urge anyone to pick that up because it mm-hmm. uh, it's a pretty cool interplay between the cherry and pear drop esters you get from the yeast, and then Belmas hop has this really cool strawberry and uh, strawberry and orange character. Right? Yeah, really yeah. I've through. had it's some a, really interesting Belma beers. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a fun beer. Mm. It's a fun beer. So please pick that up if uh, if you All see right. it anywhere. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's the most exciting thing that we got sort of okay. coming in the next month. Well, that naturally leads me into asking you where people should look for those beers then. What's the best place to pick them up? I mean, online. We've got our, um, there's the Two Tribes web shop on our website. That's yep. the easiest place if you're not local. Uh, in and, you've got a, and you've got a really generous first time customer offer as well haven't you that i know you've been you've had for some time but you know it's yeah. worth mentioning i think chris isn't it yeah with the code first time tribe all in capitals you get a you get a nice discount on uh, on your first order and if anywhere nationally i think except northern ireland uh is next day delivery brilliant yeah as well through apc which is quite handy yeah and um, yeah, then locally i want to give a shout out to the guys at clapton craft they've always right. been uh, big supporters we're in all of their stores um okay. And then to a 12-ounce bottle shop in, in Crouch End. They're doing nice. a fantastic job in sort of supplying North London breweries to North London London drinkers. Okay. <laughs> and it's a, and it's, a, it's a beautiful shop. And they have this wonderful hand-drawn map of North London pubs and breweries of distinction that they think oh, okay. you, should, you should wish. It. So it's worth going to the shop just Sounds to get a picture of the yeah. map. 
Brilliant. And then you can have a day of adventure around North London. Nice. Yeah, that sounds sounds like an attractive proposition this summer. Yeah. Excellent. So that somewhat then already covered it, but let me all ask just in case there's anybody else you'd like to shout out. So, so I, I like to ask people to give a shout out to the little guy and it might be those couple of bottle shops you just mentioned, but if there's maybe any others, uh, whether it's a local brewery or cafe, restaurant, tap room, pub that you think is doing a great job promoting independent North London craft beer? Oh, yeah, there's there's so many, and I'm so oh, happy. No, that, it's it's a, it's that, a very unfair question because you're gonna that, miss uh, <laughs> that all the pubs are back. I want to shout out one of my local pubs that I spend far too much time at, which is the, <laughs> the Lancier Arms on on Lancier Lancier Road. They do uh, fantastic Mediterranean inspired food with great simple beer. They nice. They obviously they they pour us, uh, but they also pour great beers from from other North London breweries like right. uh, Redemption and Five Points. Yep. And it is, the pub is, is just beautiful and the team are so welcoming. Uh, it's definitely a place to seek out. Fantastic. All right. Well, I'll put a link to those guys and the, the other ones you just mentioned in the show notes of the podcast so people can easily click through to, to their websites. Hopefully drop in and see them next time they're, they're in your area. Fantastic. And if you need a haircut when you're in, uh, in North London, our very good friend Tom runs a small barber shop in Angel called I Know It's As Good As A Wink. And when you get your haircut and your beard trimmed, you can have a have a two tribes beer on on the house. Fantastic! Now, now that is innovative, innovative promotion. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's also really good then. So, thank you so much for that, Chris. Let's get into the wrap up question. Okay. And this is: What would be your ultimate happy hour? Where would you be? Who would you be with? And what would you be drinking? And this is Ooh. a non-COVID restricted question. Non-COVID restricted question. All right. That's very interesting. I think, can we involve people that would be nice to have shared that beer with as well? Sure, or, absolutely. Yep, yeah, definitely. And he can mix and match as well. So the beer doesn't necessarily even need to fit the location, you know. Okay. <laughs> I think it would be really interesting. One of my big inspirations of why I do what I do and why I do it. I think it would have been fantastic to have the opportunity to have a, a drink with Anthony Bourdain. Ah, yeah, um, it would actually, yeah. And probably in like a, a very uh, a location where what you're drinking and eating doesn't actually mm-hmm. matter. I think maybe in, in a roadside bar in Havana. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just a, a local beer that's cold. It would be very interesting to uh, pick that man's, uh, that man's brains about a, a few things. I think that Definitely. would be the, the ultimate happy hour. Maybe not even talk, just uh, watch, uh, not talk about anything specific, just watch life go by and enjoy a, enjoy a cold beer. As the, yeah, as the I like that. Yeah. Good answer. I think that would be the ultimate happy hour. Yeah, for sure. Good answer. I like that a lot. Thanks, Chris. Well, then that brings us to the end of what's been a really interesting conversation, Chris. Thank you very much for your time. Really enjoyed oh, chatting thank you, with thanks you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a great evening. You too. Commencing in July 2021, This Week in Craft Beer will be running meticulously curated long weekend tours to the world's most exciting craft beer cities in partnership with some of the UK's leading craft breweries. Destinations for 2021 will include Copenhagen, New England, Brooklyn and Miami. If you fancy joining a small tour party led by a leading UK craft brewer as we experience a packed long weekend of meet the brewer and tutor tastings at some of the leading craft breweries on the planet, please pay close attention to our newsletter and website as we make new announcements each week throughout April and May. 